So continuing our practice here, continuing our lives here. Perhaps with the encouragement that this whole cultivation is intended to make life easier, simpler, more joyful, bring around the cessation of unnecessary stress, suffering, and so on. So I'd like to call the meditation a culture rather than a technique, which you can use various systems and techniques and encouragements and you know, focus on certain themes in order to enrich this culture of ending suffering and stress um, and bringing forth real potential, which unfortunately many people in this world seem to have lost touch with. Potential for harmony, for gladness, for patience, <laughs> for harmlessness, for sharing, which are all extremely uh, lovely experiences that human beings are capable of. <laughs> and uh, it's deeply uh, sad and even shocking the degree to which this potential is neglected greed takes over hatred takes over passion takes over delusions doctrines, dogmas, ideologies delusions take over so chitta needs protection from this craziness that takes over human beings in general throughout time. Now in this Satipatthana practice within many themes of uh, Dhamma practice is a massive simplification procedure. Yeah. Massive simplification exercise. Taking the complexities of what we can make out of, a, uh, of our lives into four manageable categories or body, feeling, heart, mind, and the phenomena that arise within that heart, mind. So that just kind of reduces issues around uh, the varieties of people, you know, male, female, nationality, ethnicities and so forth, even age, down to this kind of sense of massive simplification. Uh, that gives one a, perhaps a way of, of uh, finding uh, firm ground within oneself with honest experience and one that is actually conducive to harmony all, all humans experience this and in terms of bodies not just humans it's other creatures so that 
then what's it like when you just uh, come out of all the details, the personal script, and uh, there's body. Just that pruning away of all the uh, elaborations that we can make around that. Pruning away to the extent to which they cause suffering and stress, um, fascination and aversion, vanity and self-hatred. Just clear it away. Obsessiveness. Something just so simple. Mm. And with this practice of sati patana, placing um, mindfulness there, we can notice that all of them die, break up. They're all made of sinews and meat and bones and tissues and so on. Well, that you know cuts down a lot of concern about your hairstyle, doesn't it? <laughs> what are your fingernails? If we varnish on them or not? Is that is that you know is that a negative statement? Is it? Is that always just just make taking weight off the mind? The idea is not to establish aversion, but just to say don't don't bother with that. There's no you don't have to concern yourself with that. You can be perfectly happy without concerning yourself with that. In fact, you'll be happier because that's a weight off the mind. Yeah. And then within that experience of body, experience something that's actually uh, very significant. Breathing in and out, of course, the vitality that that brings around, but also just the sense of relaxing, easing the stress and tension in the body. And bringing the mind into the body so it's not just spun out into possibilities and probabilities and fantasies and games and worries and doubts. So we just anchor it in here where it's, it's got a place to sit and stabilise, calming. So this embodiment uh, practice is, is it's always very simple but has to be persistently uh, encouraged because the nature of our conditioning is to spin out into the abstract. The concepts and symbols, categories, naming, labeling and definitions and discrimination around that. Just that settling. It's easeful because you're not even trying to focus on any particular point, but just the whole sense of being embodied. It's so simple that you sometimes one doesn't really get exactly what it means. Does it mean you're focusing on your bones or your teeth? No, no. No, just the sense of stability and substance and being grounded and having 
a stable presence. You might say the nervous energy. Settled. And cultivating that, then noticing, you know, one's got a lot of tension in the head, very little awareness of the back or the lower back, and beginning just through a process of sati, keeping the whole boundary of the body in mind, and steadying, bringing a steadying, calming influence into this somatic domain, so it becomes more even and steady, a refuge, a comfort, a support, a gift, not, not something you have to strain for. And yes, effort has to be made to keep referring to that. But it's uh, an effort where you pick something up and you begin to extend, try to extend how long you can be in that, the continuity of that, and staying with it when one's cold or warm or walking or sitting or eating or talking, or moving around, just being in there. And that's the way it's expressed in a Satipatthana teaching, staying within that. And that does require effort because generally we flip out into wanting this and not wanting that and hurrying to this and forgetting about that and slumping, losing attention, lying down or getting hyper-attentive when we go to sit and just steady and this process of a steadiness through the day that's a lovely thing to accomplish Because then that acts as the, the template. The other satipatthanas are measured on that template, are seen in terms of that template. So when there's a powerful physical feeling, for example, my attention runs off to that feeling and starts to get tangled in it, fight with it or fascinated with it. And the practice is no, no. Stay where the whole embodiment, where that feeling happens, if you stay with the whole thing, that feeling, physical feeling, will throb and pulse, but you won't fight with it. You won't tense up around it. And your jitta, your awareness will be able to be calm and risen responsive to that feeling rather than reactive to it. And sometimes this alone helps the intensity of the feeling to diminish because it was the fighting with the feeling that made it so miserable. And of course with this if we have feeling based upon emotion, mental feeling, just this sense of steadying, stabilizing, not making an issue, not fighting, not repressing, not elaborating. That emotional feeling, the feeling with, bound up with emotion, lessens in, in its intensities. We can feel that emotional stirring of disappointment or grief or irritation. 
and you just open to it. You're not actually getting triggered by it. And it's also it's conducive to these qualities being allowed to be heard, flow through. One can examine this was caused by that, that's the trigger for that. Right, something we can learn in there about where our actions were confused. Or other people's actions were confused. Or that hanging on to it is just a waste of time. Blaming and regretting isn't going to do you any good. So lessening the emotional layers that get placed around mental feeling. This can be done through embodiment. Because it's that sense of being in the body that gives a basis for the citta to stand on its own ground, to establish itself, to keep spread and not get tangled and uh, agitated and tipped over. And so the simple mantra, if you like, or simple memo around emotional feeling is stay open to it. Stay open to it. You know, it's a certain psychological attitude, but it's actually almost like a somatic openness to it. Receive it in your embodiment. Whole body. You may feel it running in your chest, and you say you open the entire body, the back, the abdomen, even down to the feet if you're standing. Keep opening and the defending yourself against unpleasant emotion, the trying to not have it, the feeling of if one shouldn't have it, all that can be put aside and the emotion can breathe out. And, and that's the um, cleansing process that Satipatthana can bring around to make one's life easier and begin to shed the burden of the past and the personal profile without dismissing it but actually opening to it. At this level, in this place. That's eminently pragmatic it's certainly not about discarding, saying you shouldn't feel that, that's silly, or get over it, or life's like any philosophical shrug, or putting it into you know, a little box and pushing it away, you know, gross feeling, disgusting emotions, whatever you may feel about them, just beginning to take away the labelling. And know says, this is just a chitta, this is what happens, probably happens for other people, the same to some degree or another. This is what happens to the human. So compassion rather than self-obsession arises. The possibility to step out of the past One is mindful of feeling just to the extent to which one knows there is feeling, is this, that 
tingling, that surging, that what is a feeling anyway? What is a feeling anyway? It's a tone, change of tone from an swinging backwards and forwards that, that applies a certain pressure, a certain push. Now, we're, with uh, this practice, we're not cooperating with the push of aversion or fascination, just instead of being pushed by it, we open. So it's like the feeling is pushing against an open door. It's pushing against an open space, the feeling has got nothing to push against. <laughs> and this way the feeling disappears. So this way one begins to defang those memories. You can remember them, but they don't bite. They don't grip you. This makes life easier. Definitely. So with this, yes, we are, you know, by that openness, we are, you could say, allowing, not allowing the mind to wander, you know. <laughs> Actually to deal with this, what, it, what its business is. If we're looking at this culture very fully and openly, we're not here specifically to just to follow a particular technique. And so, whatever happens, you do that. No, not really. You want to clean out where you're suffering. And so, this is quite a sim- simple technique, if you like. But it's right there in the Satipatthana. Be aware of your body. Stay aware of that. Then go from the tactile, which you can't always be aware of, but that's a good basis to start from and you can go back to that when you get really lost or imbalanced I'm standing, I'm walking feel that but within that the somatic presence which is carrying all these traces of felt experiences and listening to them opening them up So our attention is quite wide, but it's sampajano. Sampajano is, is relevant, it's contextual, it has a purpose to eliminate suffering, uh, it's suitable, it's something you can manage, um, it's non-delusional. You know? So you know whatever arises is just this, it's not me or permanent. And so using attention, you know, just to hold that frame, and then Sampajano, clearly comprehending, directly aware, context, in this situation, 
in this frame of reference, in this environment, in this relationship, in this activity. (laughs) You know, you can set it. What's happening to the body when I'm with my friends? What's happening there? What's happening when I'm going to the airplane? What's happening when we're in the retreat centre in this frame of reference? And then, uh So you can live that. That's a culture. Mm-hmm. Now you, you can use attention to almost avoid what needs to be noticed. That's one of the issues around attention, when it's not clearly directed. You can be focusing on one thing. Notice what attention does. When it, it means it generally avoids... in order to focus on the 10% that we consider important. Well, that's that's a useful gift. One can do that. But be careful with the 90% that you're not witnessing actually contains some of the business, some of the stuff you need to be aware of. (laughs) Because we can use attention to almost distract ourselves from what's really, you know, uh, regret, a uh, sense of guilt or shame or, or whatever, you know. So you keep it, so it's sampajano, what's relevant, what's pertinent. Mm. This is a training. This is a cult part of a very strong part of the culture. Mm. Keeps you on your toes, listening out for where the real thing what's really there for you, which not just the irrelevant kind of background chatter, but actually the stirring emotional tides that you can feel happening, which generally carry the imprint, I am this, I am the, I can't, I always have to, I never, people feel this about me. Not necessarily verbally, but just this emotional tone of self-definition. I have to, I can't. Other people think. Uh, A lot of it is inferred hostility. Inferred hostility. Other people, if I don't do this, people won't like me or they'll punish me or they'll exclude me. If I do this, I'll be disgusted, shamed, bad. So this kind of tonality can keep us trapped. So we want to be aware of that tonality. So you keep your awareness really poised for where's where's the real business that's causing you suffering and stress the compulsion, the fixation, the repeated, the familiar. So familiar it's barely ever challenged. You know, well, you just have to get by in life, do the best you can, I suppose, because life's like, who says that? Well, because I'm like this, you know, I'm never going to be like, who says that? What, what mumble, what mutters that in your ear? Where does that shadow fall across your heart to stop you experiencing your true potential, joy? Mm. Ease. Liberation.
I can't get liberated because there's no way I can enter fourth jhana. <laughs> so it's impossible. You can't really attain stream entry. So forget it. Just fodder along. Worldling. Maybe three lifetimes later I might get a glimmer. But who says that? So bear in mind, anything, anything whatsoever that says this is what you are, is a lie. Because, anatta, there are certainly powerful conditions and powerful familiar tendencies, but any suggestion that comes in you are this, you can't, you never will be, you always have been. Just listen to the, feel the tonality of that, the dampening, the dulling, the energy just flattening to a kind of dogged, put up with it state or, <laughs> yeah. you know, do you want to let that continue to, to um, take over? Well, you challenge it, who's that? It's quite understandable. I think most of us spend, certainly our teenage years, trying to prove we are something as good as the next person, member of the group. And spend your, if you're, you know, spend your one's twenties trying to prove oneself a man. By the thirties, the proof is running out. <laughs> Certainly, if you're trying to prove yourself to be a good monk, you're strict, diligent, totally unmoving, calm, equanimous, willing, ready, hardworking, diligent, calm, resourceful, serene, cheerful, and liberated at the same time. So you're good. You're trying to prove that one, and you know that you know all the. Dhamma, backwards, you know, the vinya, clear right view and so forth. Oh, yeah. Trying to prove something to somebody. One of the saddest things, we had a bhikkhu, he'd been a bhikkhu for 30 years, and he disrobed because he just got so tired of trying to prove himself to be something. And nobody asked it of him. Nobody asked it. Nobody said he's just happy for him to be around. He said, I'm not, an, I'm not an Aryan. 30 reigns, people are still offering me alms food, I'm not worthy of it. I'm not an Aryan, I'm not a noble one. You know, I can't bear it anymore. So he just worked. Just get out of the pressure. Get out of the pressure of not being good enough. Wow. And nobody asked it of him. Nobody. Didn't say... Are you an Aryan? No, no. Well, you're not getting a sandwich from me then. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't ask me that. <laughs> so you know what do you? So that sense of you know you're worthy enough, meditator, after all these years and so on is deal with it. Deal with that sense of that. 
And then you find that actually it's something quite pertinent that you should attend to. If you attend to that, the mind will brighten and your perspective changes. This was never about being a good anything. <laughs> this wasn't about becoming anything. This is about understanding where suffering arises and stress and stop doing it. <laughs> and let somebody else can decide whether you, what you are if they want. <laughs> but you don't need it. There's some pajano, notice the emotional patterns, and the feeling, as you stay within that, you can begin to recognize this is the jitta into the influence of, you know, some kind of passion to prove to become something. What's that? Where's the push? Where's the pressure around? Where are the kind of signs of glory that you're seeking for? Aversion. Aversion to yourself. Aversion to your mind. Aversion to your aversion. <laughs> and this aver- these are not necessarily that gross, but, um, you know, you begin to detect... Uh, these qualities, particularly when you find yourself getting this, uh, these places where you suddenly find that your tension jumps. You know, you're doing something, oh, just, you know, something jumps, your tension jumps because you're going to one of these touchy areas. Mm. You're fairly steady and then something lit up and you got very excited about this, or you get agitated by this, and then the attention flicks off to something else. Something squeezes you. Suddenly you find yourself thinking about something. You return, what is it that touched me? Inferred hostility, feeling inadequate, feeling ashamed, lost for words, can't quite. You know, whatever. Who's doing that? What's doing that? They're staying in the body because when these uh, emotional patterns come up, depending how strong they are, we often lose bodily presence. returning to bodily presence and noticing that how your awareness has suddenly become rather contracted. It was sort of spread out and quite open, now it's become contracted. You didn't realise that, contracted, because you were in the emotion and dealing with emotion and being concerned about the emotion and maybe struggling with the emotion. So in it, that we didn't notice that chitta become contracted. That's how it's described, you know, in these different revelations of chitta. This is the chitta affected by passion, aversion, delusion. This is the contracted 
chitta, when it tightens up around something, and we didn't even notice it because we were in, right inside it, dealing with it. Or it's, it's distracted, it's starting to scatter. Look around for something else. Uh, scattered fragments. And we didn't notice that. We were caught up with what it was fragmenting onto. And so if you're in that embodied condition, you keep going back to that. Oh, wow, suddenly got really tight. What happened there? Oh, you know, some inflammatory thought dropped in and I tightened up. You know, once again, this is chitta. It's not me. This is chitta being affected and it tightens or it fragments, breaks up. So then, to make that more than just a statement, but an actual experience, you hold a bodily presence as a template, and you feel that scattering, burrowing, distracting, and then you've got some way in which before you get involved in the story, or even, you know, fight with the contraction, or, or tell yourself not to be contracted, you go, body, feeling pressure in my chest, widening, steadying that. Oh, that contraction arose, passed. That was that. Mm. In any situation. You know? Dropping the cup. When you were trying to wash up, you were in a hurry and you dropped the cup. You were being mindful in a mindfulness center, practicing three weeks solid of meditation, and you idiot, you dropped the cup on the floor and it smashed, and everybody heard it smash. You dropped the cup. And you, you know, what had happened? Contraction. <laughs> Oh, no, sorry, scurry, I'm trying to mindfully scurry off and, you know, feeling it. Idiot, idiot, idiot. Not mindful. Okay. Yeah. Now we're here. <laughs> uh, noticing that contraction of shame, having made a mistake. Okay. Now, and so then, of course, we might remember if, if there had been a steadily body presence, we might not have dropped the cup. We might have done, because maybe the cup was slippery and wet. Who knows? Mm. Or maybe we said, oh, thank goodness you dropped that cup. We've been trying to get rid of that for years. If we can contemplate these, then we see the mind just by that that quality alone of being able to dispel the atta, the self-experience within these phenomena, with these permutations of citta, the mind begins to 
become exalted, uplifted, because we've become much more equanimous about our success and failure, much more magnanimous about our, ours and other people's foibles and mess-ups and so forth. And the jitta think, ah, oh, you know, just be kind. <laughs> Don't make a big deal out of anything. This kind of direction where the tonality of the jitta becomes wide and of maha chitta, the great chitta, with chitta made great, expansive. And then you, so with loving kindness, one of the developments that occurs when we just realize how, how sensitive we all are to these effects, serenity, equanimity. Mm. And then you begin to contemplate that texture. It's, it's kind of the texture of it. It's, uh, it's no longer so lunging, dark, tangled, inflamed, sore. It's got a sort of smooth happy quality to it. You realise, I'm not making it happy. It is. Happy. Quietly happy. Contentedly happy. So this is, then jitta is samadhid. It enters its happiness. Hmm. So, noticing this occurs too. Now we might think, I've got something, I've finally got my practice together. Then we don't allow that to change or move or pass. But in fact, these, these experiences do pass, change. So then, this is mind. This is chitta. This is chitta. just to the extent to which there is bare knowledge and mindfulness. So we're not claiming anything because the jitta has been this or it's been that. We're not giving up because it's been this or it's been that. We're not holding on because it's been this or it's been that. We know this is mind. This is what it can do. Now, making that more than just a philosophical statement, but something that's got a, a felt reality to it. Mind, jitta. Through all this, all these different changes and forms, what is the essential quality that we call mind or jitta? Since the jitta has been this and that and this and that and big and small and contracted and tangled and open and closed, what is it? What's the, you know, if there's a constant 
thing there, what is it? What is this knowingness? And we, it's just that, isn't it? There is a sensitivity, an openness, a sensitivity. There's no real final content. Content changes. No real final boundary or state, that changes. Uh, whether it's refined or less refined, that changes. What? What's always there? Mm. So we come things like presence, awareness. You know, there's an awareness that's not just an not an idea. It has a real well in, in the embodied practices that are being placed there, that awareness has got a definite presence to it. And you, you can only use these words to to suggest because this is not some object that you can witness, it's some some basic foundation. Chitta stands on its own foundation rather than leaning on some something else. It's deeply present. And if we liken that to the bodily experience of balance, it means that presence knows the pulls and the pushes, the weights and the absences, and doesn't get doesn't get involved with them. It abandons. It's yeah. It doesn't partake. And this leads us into contemplating the, what's the fourth establishment, which are, we'll deal with later. But it's practicing, you know, remembering or referring to, cultivate, getting into the culture that honours respects the basic purity of citta and learns how to disengage, dispassionate, relinquish, not get fascinated with, not take a stand upon or resist the various permutations that occur. And then we have a, a, a culture, a cultivation that can stand through the changes of a day, of an hour, maybe a lifetime, to the ongoing abandonment of suffering and stress. So now we have the time and the occasion and the encouragement to uh, sustain that openness and to understand our biases and preferences and sore points and compulsiveness in an open-hearted way, in in a mindful way, in a way that leads to the disentanglement of these inheritances. 
So let's take some time for direct practice.